Well, good morning, church. Good to be with you this morning. I'm going to ask a, a series of questions. It's really one question, but I'm going to ask it in several different ways. Uh, maybe one of these will uh, strike your life in a particular way, or you could ask it uh, of yourself, uh, of the area of life that, that you most want this question to be answered. How do I know that I am a great and then you get to fill in the blank. So I'm going to give you a couple of these, okay? Uh, how do I know I'm a great farmer? How do I know I'm a great farmer? Uh, what are the results of, of my life of farming that would demonstrate, that would show that I'm really doing well, uh, that I'm walking successfully as a farmer? I mean, I suppose hypothetically we could say, well, I suppose it depends on, on the longevity of your ability to farm and, and what you do with your fields and, and the sorts of things you do with your fields so that year after year you might have a harvest. But perhaps those are some of the things that we could say, how, how is it that I know? How is it that you know you're a great student? Some of you in here are, are students, and, and you're thinking, man, I know that, that I've got some tests coming up. How is it that I know that I'm a great student? What is, it, what is the result of your being a great student that allows you uh, to see and for others to recognize that, man, you are a great student? I suppose it probably has something to do with the grade you receive in the class, but maybe it has more to do uh, really with the, the sort of person that you are. Do you love learning? Do you really research? Do, uh, do you soak in what it is that other people are trying to get you to understand? How is it that you know you're a great student? How is it that you know you're a great athlete? We have some current and maybe former athletes here in this room, and, and you could look back and go, I, I could demonstrate to you that, uh, that I was a great athlete. Maybe your name is somewhere engraved on some wall, on some school somewhere, or, or you have a record somewhere uh, that just acts as, as a demonstration of how good you used to be, Right? And for some of you who are current athletes, you're saying, oh man, it's the number of points that I score per game. How is it that you know that you are a great athlete? How is it that you know you're a great parent? How is it that you know you're a great mom or dad? It, it seems to me, at least being in my stage of parenting, uh, that you don't really get to know how great you really might be or could be until they've left. And then they have to begin to make decisions on their own, uh, hopefully uh, the sorts of decisions that you have just uh, really fostered in them, that you have given them an environment to make the kinds of decisions uh, that you can look at their life uh, and go, man, you know what, I, mu I must have done a good job. How do you know you're a great Christian? How, how do you know that? What are the results that we could all look at in your life or mine uh, that demonstrate to, to everybody that you are doing what you should be doing? Uh, what is it that, that shows uh, that, that you are walking successfully with God? Uh, what is it uh, that, uh, that we can 
look at, that there is a tangible and touchable that, uh, that we could say, oh, you know what, I know that this is a great Christian life uh, because. How do you know? What are the results of a great Christian life? Uh, the best part is that James answers this question for us. James is going to be answering the question for us uh, in regards to how is it that we know, how is it that we can demonstrate what it looks like uh, to live a great Christian life. And he is going to couple what it looks like to have a great Christian life, and he is going to rest that on our faith. And then he's going to say that if we have a vibrant, successful, living, active faith, he's going to say that faith, that vibrant faith in who God is and all that God has done, that that faith is active. That there's something that we can see. That there's a tangible fruit to the great Christian life. And that if that fruit isn't there, if that faith isn't demonstrable, then perhaps we're not as great as we think we are. We've been in this series, Love Where You Live, and, and really the purpose of this entire series has been, hey, as a Christian community, as Christians gathering around the Word of God, uh, seeking to praise Him in how we live our life, uh, how can we involve ourselves with our neighbors, our friends, our colleagues, our co-workers, uh, and all of the people around us? How is it that we can engage other people? How is it that Whiting Christian Church can come to be involved in the community in which we live? How is it that you can be involved in the community where you are right now? And in order to do that, this morning we're going to look at the book of James. We're going to look at what James has to say about our faith. That in order to live this faithful Christian life, in order to know that, that we can live great Christian lives, we have to have a vibrant faith. And he's going to ask kind of an implicit question in the text. Are your loving deeds, are your good works, are your deeds of kindness and compassion to other people, are the things that you do with your community and with your neighbors, are they a result of a vibrant, active, living, vivacious faith? Do your acts of kindness and goodwill, do the things that you do to help other people, are they a result? Are they a, the effect? of a tremendous living faith. Would you join me, would you please, uh, in James chapter 2 this morning. James chapter 2, if you have a Bible in front of you, uh, if it's the hardcover version of the Bible in front of you, it's going to be page 848. If you're in the softcover version, it's going to be 1216. 1216.
Look with me, would you, in verse 14. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deed? Can such a faith save them? Uh, Suppose a brother or a sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but doesn't do anything about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. Now, I open up James chapter 2, and automatically red flags begin to go up in all sorts of people's minds. For centuries, in fact, the the history of the church, there's been a number of people that have gotten their undies in a bunch because, uh, well, they they just wonder, uh, is James trying to say that we have to work for our salvation? Is James trying to to say that that we have to work for God's grace? Uh, Let me suggest to you that that's not at all what James is trying to do. Uh, That James here is not attempting uh, to try and place faith as a cause, but rather faith as uh, an effect. What are the effects of a, a vivacious, living, active faith in the life of the person who has already encountered God's grace? I think if James could come to another portion of Scripture, I think if he could go to Ephesians chapter 2, for example... I think he could hold his right hand on Ephesians chapter 2 and say, absolutely, this is true, it's authentic, and I believe that it's consistent with what I'm going to say about faith. In Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, Paul writes this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I think James had a a glorious understanding of God's amazing grace. I think the piece that James begins to pick up on here is what's that through faith piece look like? How is it that we recognize uh, the kind of living and active faith that ought to be a part of a person's life when they've already experienced what it looks like for God's grace to touch their life? What's that look like? How is it that we know what great Christian faith looks like? And James, in the present act of faith, the people's lives begins to answer that question. In fact, he knows where God's salvation comes from. If you look in James chapter 1, look in verse 17. He says, every good and perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. He chose to give us birth through the word of truth that we might be a kind of first fruits of all that he has created. Now, James isn't trying to get the cart ahead of the horse here. What he's saying, though, is that if there is faith, there is something that follows it. That if you have a living, vibrant, active, surrendering, submissive faith, that there are going to be tangible fruits that will follow it. That if you have a faith in the living God who saves you, 
that there will be fruit. There will be identifying markers on your life as a demonstration of your great Christian life. And it's actually at this point uh, when, when Paul, uh, excuse me, not Paul, uh, when James begins to say, hey, faith void of any good, great, tangible, touchable acts of compassion and loving kindness to others is dead. It's at that point that James kind of raises an objection. He anticipates an objection from someone else that says, okay, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. I know that I can do good stuff and I don't have to have faith. I know I can go out and do good things and I don't have to have faith, so if I can go and do good things and not have faith, can't I have faith and not do good things? And he answers it. Would you look in in verse 18 with me? He says, but someone will say, you have faith, and I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by by, by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. But even the demons will believe that and shudder. He's going to say over and over again, If your faith is vibrant and active, there are going to be deeds that are a result. He says to the person that if you see your fellow Christian brother or sister in need, if you see them and they're in need, and you meet them after church one day and they say, oh yeah, you know, we... Uh, we, we don't have any place to lay our head, or we don't have a meal, or we don't know uh, where we're going to sleep tonight. And you say, awesome. Hey, have a great, great afternoon. I hope you enjoy the afternoon. I, uh, hope God blesses you this week. Good luck. God bless. Have a good week. Knowing that your brother or sister is in desperate need and tangibly do nothing, uh, James is going to say, then you have no faith at all. That your faith is fruitless. In fact, he's going to say that your faith is dead. That's the scenario he paints in in the text. He says, suppose a, a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food, and one of you says, go in peace. Keep warm, well-fed, but doesn't do anything about their physical needs. What good is it? He's painting this picture, ladies and gentlemen, uh, friends, Christians. He's painting this picture of what it looks like to have the great Christian life. And it's tied to our faith. And if our faith isn't demonstrating itself in some way, then James is going to say, then it's not really faith, is it? And so we have to... We have to rise to the occasion and say the result of my faith is going to be acts of loving kindness and tangibility toward other people. And he gives us three examples 
He gives us three examples in the text. The first one is kind of the strange one. It begins kind of in the negative and then goes to the positive. The first example he gives us is almost the worst example that any of us could possibly think of. I just read it for you. It happens right there. In verse 18, uh, right after he gives the uh, example of the one who's raising an objection, he says, some of you would say this, but even the demons believe and shudder. What he's saying is, even the very worst that we could possibly think of, they believe, they have this recognition that there is a God out there. You might even say that there is some level of faith, some level of trust that they have uh, that God is present. But there's no follow-up. There's no demonstration. There's no fruit. It's fruitless. It is dead, James says. So, what about you? Is our, is our faith living and active? Is it demonstrating uh, a vivacious, living, active, successful walk in who God would have us to be? That was the first example. There's two more. Uh, one example that he gives is of a, of a great big Old Testament hero. The other is of a, que- a questionable sort of woman, and you think, oh, wait a minute, how did she find herself here? Uh, notice the first one. He says, look at Abraham. In verse 21, was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see uh, that his faith and his actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed and it was credited to him as righteousness and he was called God's friend. He says in verse 24, you see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. He's saying, hey, 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 there is no such thing as living an active faith in who God is and all God does apart from your loving, tangible acts of kindness and compassion toward others. Uh, Think about Abraham. If you go all the way back into Genesis, there is going to be this beautiful story about Abraham. And Abraham was given a promise from God. The promise from God was, uh, hey, you're going to be a great nation. You're going to be so great, Abraham, uh, that all of these these pebbles, all of these uh, little kernels, if I can call them that, of sand. Grains? Grains of sand? Kernels of sand? Okay, all right. It's, it's Iowa. We can say kernels of sand, right? And he's going to look at the sand and he's going to say, Abraham, your descendants are going to be like that. There's going to be so many of them. He's going to look at the sky and he goes, Abraham, look at the stars. I'm going to give you a promise, Abraham, that, that your descendants are going to be... So many. Now, there was a problem. And if you know the story, you recognize the problem. The problem was Abraham and his wife were old. They couldn't have children. They were past that time already. And Abraham kind of waited and waited and waited on God. 
And finally, there's some visitors that show up and and say, hey, by this time next year, your wife's going to be pregnant. And she begins to laugh, which, by the way, is why Isaac gets his name. It means laughter. And so every time that they named him, every time that they said, Isaac, why don't you come on over here? They were reminded of that moment when God gave his promise to them. And, And Abraham, in that moment, when he believed in God's promise, he acted in faith. Now, some 15 to 30 years later, scholars don't quite agree how much later it is that God asks Abraham to go up on a mountain and take his only son, Isaac, uh, the one who, by the way, was going to be the seed for all of the rest of those descendants, all the heirs. God's promise was resting with Isaac. But because Abraham had believed God, he said, okay, I'm going to back this up. God, I believe you. And I don't know what it is that you have in store for this moment, but whatever it is, I will believe. I trust in you. And so he took Isaac up on the mountain and he strapped him down uh, to the altar and he raised the knife. And it was then that God realized that Abraham would do anything. And James is saying that's, that's what faith looks like. It's not just I get it up here. It's the willingness of my life to follow through and say, I want to be active and do something tangible in obedience to God because that's what my faith needs to look like. How is it that you know that you're a great Christian? Look at the results of your faith. What's it pouring out? He doesn't just look at Abraham, though, does he? He looks at another, he looks at another woman. And this one, uh, we kind of wonder. It's Rahab. Uh, she finds herself in the genealogy of Jesus. It's Rahab. She's a prostitute, at least when we first get to know her. And God's people of Israel are going to invade They're going to take over Jericho. They sent some spies ahead, and there's some people that recognize, uh, you're not from around here. And they go knocking on doors, it seems like, and they end up in Rahab's place. And Rahab has a decision. Turn them in or hide them. And in acting in faith, in an act of faith that they were actually who they said they were and that they served the God that they said they served and that that God was going to do what that God said he was going to do, she decided in an action, in a tangible way, she said, okay, I'm going to hide you. You see, vibrant faith, a great Christian life, is coupled with Tangible, loving deeds of kindness. And we shouldn't shrink back from that. I mean, if we had the time this morning, we could look at First and Second Timothy and Titus and First and Second Thessalonians and over and over again. Paul comes back to those who are desiring to live the Christian life and he says, hey, don't stop doing good stuff. Keep doing good. Do good deeds. Faith that is alive, that is vibrant, that is surrendering, 
is a faith that works, that shows itself to be true in what we do. And can I tell you that one of the great parts about being here and knowing many of you is that I get to see so many of you carrying out your faith in so many different ways. That you're trying to live out what it means to be a Christian. That you're saying, I recognize deep down that my faith can't just be a faith that sits, but a faith that works. A faith that demonstrates itself to be true in what I do. And that needs to be seen with my neighbors and my friends and my colleagues. It needs to be a loving where I live kind of faith. One of those people that I was thinking of this week is a dare. Now, I don't know if you know a dare. A dare's been a member here a long time, and I found out earlier this week, and I talked to him even this morning. Did you know that a dare is more than 70 years old? Now, He's more than 70. I'm not going to give his age. You can talk to him if you really want to know how young he is. But the other week, Adair stopped me and he handed me this program and he said, hey, we're doing this gospel thing. And a bunch of people are going to get together and they're going to get together and sing praises to God in a whole different musical fashion. And I've got some artists coming together and he said, this is the 25th year that we've done this. Now, if I've done the math right, and, and I'm no math whiz, uh, what that means is that somewhere in his 60s, Adair said, you know what? I want my faith to be active. I have this passion for music, and I love it, and I want to I see it grow. And for 25 years... 25, he said, I'm going to put something together to bless other people, to allow them to use their gifts. And in doing so, there's something active and tangible in his life and in his faith that says, wow, I have experienced God's grace. Uh, there's some of you, uh, there's a, a team of people here uh, on our campus, on this, this, well, in this room, love in action team. And I know some of the things that you all do, you write cards and, and you do service projects, sometimes you raise money for people, uh, you, you do care packages for them. You, you try and just uh, look at the needs of the people in your community, and you're trying to say, Ugh, how can we serve? I want to get down on my knees. Uh, uh, how can I serve you today? And as a group, you have said, we're not going to be the sort of people that just come and sit. Uh, we're going to be the sort of people that our faith is a, res it's a result uh, it's going to show something. There's going to be actions that demonstrate who we are. I, I thought of some of you last week. We had a big harvest dinner. Some of you got to enjoy all of the goodness of that. 
But you know what? Those things don't come together on their own. Did you know that? Uh, you don't just wiggle your nose or snap your fingers and voila, tables and chairs and, and table decorations and food. And it doesn't happen that way. And it doesn't happen that way because there's some of you who, acting on your faith, are motivated to try and act and, and, and do something tangible about, about who you are as a Christian. You're going in early and you're setting stuff up and you're saying, uh, you know what, I want this event to be really good. And there's some of you that are staying late and you're putting tables back and you're, you're gathering up chairs and you're cleaning off tables and you're getting rid of all the garbage and you're sweeping floors because that's who you are. And there's something active about your faith. And you're saying, this, this faith that I have, this, this walk that I have with God is not simply about me believing in, in God. It's about me acting in who God is. And there's some of you I know who, who, who you have this burden upon your heart. There's a, a new church plan in Sergeant Bluff, uh, Rally Point Christian Church with, with Drew Hansen. And, and, and you've decided, hey, I, I love Whiting, but, but I really love that and what he is doing. And so you've decided to go up really early in the morning. And you said, I'm going to set up chairs, and I'm going to help them be a portable church for a while, and I'm going to help do that for a time so that they can get off the ground. And some of you right now are just sitting there wondering, well, what could I do? Perhaps there's something that I could do that I have a capacity to do that would just be a small demonstration of the faith that I have and who God is. Some of you are older than me, and that's okay. Actually, it's great. We have lots to learn. Now, now some of you, some of you love your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. You, you love a gathering around kids. Uh, you just, you find that so uh, filling. If you could do that every day, you would. Can I... Can I just prompt you that just because you're 50 or 60 or 70 or 80, that, that you don't need to come and sit in here always? That you could actually be a part of practicing your faith in the children's ministry? That if you enjoy spending time with your kids and your grandkids, it's just like that. You get to adopt more kids. And you can be a part of that. Uh, heck, you probably think you've already heard every sermon there is ever to be preached anyway. Uh, so, so be a part of acting in your faith. And move down to the children's ministry wing a week or two. And say, I, I'm going to practice my faith right there in a, in a passionate place where I can encounter other kids. Uh, coming up here in a few months, we're going to uh, put together, because we love our community, we're going to put together a, a fireman's appreciation dinner for the firemen and the firehouses in our community. And, and, and maybe you want to be a part of that. And you want to say, hey, I'll, I'll, I'll volunteer to be a, a part of whatever it means to, to help other people and recognize uh, people in our community that are doing great things at the firehouse. 
in May, May 11th in particular, uh, we're going to try and put something on. We're going to do something. We haven't quite figured out what that something is yet, but May 11th is Teacher Appreciation Day. And there's a number of schools around here, a number of schools that are represented in this room, and uh, we're just going to try and reach out to those schools and those teachers as a church that says, hey, we actually love you. We want to love where we live, and we want our faith to be demonstrated in it. Some of you, may, maybe you just need an opportunity to look around you, and, and you need to give something to someone. I was looking around me this last week, and I began to think, well, what, what do I perceive around me uh, that I could begin to give to others? Uh, we have a receptionist. Her name is Judy. About 3 or 3.30 in the afternoon, about every day, I get up from my desk from what, about whatever I'm doing, and I, I have a, a coffee mug. It's rather tall, and I'll put water in it uh, so that I can make it through the afternoon. Is anybody else that way? 2.30, 3.30 in the afternoon? You, you kind of, it's a, you know, the foods all began to digest. Okay, it's just me. Anyway... I take that. It's kind of my ritual, right? I, I, it's just kind of like, okay, I'm going to get up, I'm going to move around, I'm going to drink some water, and I go out to the cafeteria, and I have to pass by Judy's desk in order to get there. I realized one day that Judy can't get up. If she gets up, then that means someone's not there to answer the phone. And don't you know, just as soon as she would get up, the, the phone would answer. And the distance between uh, where the water is and where her phone is uh, are too great for her to be able to try and sprint back and answer the phone in time. So I just tried to say, over the last, actually, several weeks, several months, I've said, Judy, do you need something to drink? Now, I know, I know that's a small little thing, but if done with the right motive, perhaps that's a little bit of your faith in action as you try and tangibly touch other people with some piece of kindness or compassion or love. I have a student, I won't tell you his name, but I have a student and he's got all sorts of health difficulties. He's actually a young student who, he's, he's got diabetes and a whole variety of other health concerns that, that quite frankly lead him to Mayo Clinic back and forth and back and forth. And he's, and he's trying to figure out how to do school and, and, and be in pain almost all the time. And so I had a chance. I sat with him in my office and I was uh, just... Uh, trying to engage with him and the sorts of things that he needs. And he says, well, one of the things that I could really use right now is a new insulin pump. You see, I need a new insulin pump, and it's like, and he began to describe this insulin pump that would do all of these new things. And I don't know anything about insulin pumps, but I know that they're expensive. And I can't, I can't uh, give him a new insulin pump. But what we did that day was I went home and I just talked to Joel and I said, hey, what can we give to, uh, to him so that uh, maybe he can use it for uh, a new insulin pump in the future? I wish we could have written him a whole check for the whole thing, but we gave him a little bit uh, and said, hey, this is for you to use whatever you want it to do. 
Just as a, as a thing to try and say, hey, we're trying to be active in our faith here. Would you, uh, would you take this and do whatever you think you need to do with it? There's another student I just had this week. He comes in and sees me fairly regularly. We're kind of in a mentorship relationship. He asked me if I would meet with him regularly at lunchtime on Thursdays. And so just about every Thursday, I meet with him, and we talk about life and discipleship and Jesus and marriage and all sorts of different things. He's a young man, hasn't been married all that long, in fact, just under a year. Well, this last week, come Thursday, I didn't see him. So I, I emailed him. I said, hey, uh, what's going on? How are you doing? And he says, well, we've had some big news this week. Libby's pregnant. Woohoo! Now, it's a little bizarre, but he said, yeah, it was a real surprise. And, and the real surprise is we found out that she's going to be due next month. Now, I know that some of your, your minds are going wild, but here were my questions to him. Hey, how are you doing emotionally? What can we do? How can we provide for you? You see, he hasn't had normal eight months to try and figure all of this stuff out, and so I'm just trying to, to figure out what does it look like in the life of that young man and that young couple to come alongside of them and practice my faith. Do you, do you see it's not rocket science. It's just simply looking around you and going, you know what, there's something there that I can engage in, uh, that there can be some tangible, touchable, good deed, good thing that I can do, some piece of compassion uh, that I can bear to the table that demonstrates my faith. You want to be able to answer that question that question that we started off the day, how, how can you know that you are a great Christian? Then have a faith that works. Have a faith that loves where you live. Let's pray. Gracious God, I thank you so much for your word, and it's shaping us and molding us, and, and it's challenging us, and there's tension there. And, and Lord, I just pray that uh, that you would take the grace that we have received from you and that we will act on it and there will be tangible results. Lord, I pray that no longer will we, will we, we be okay with fruitless faith, but that we will stand up and let our feet and our arms and our hands demonstrate the result of who you are in us. And Lord, we love you. And I pray for our church, and, and I pray for our church in our community, that, Lord, we will love where we live. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' holy name, amen.